Hey everybody, welcome to the Legendary Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloor, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Isadora Martin-Dye. What's up? Thank you very much for being so patient with us in our delinquency of this podcast. Life just sort of took over. But very excitingly, we are now actually recording in a studio. An actual studio. Like an actual... Well, when we started this podcast, we were recording in a studio. Kind of. And then, what was it, like a studio slash office, um... And we are privileged enough to have enough space to keep relocating our recording space. And so now we're in a, the recording dungeon. Yeah, and we are even getting it potentially set up to be able to YouTube it, which Adam just gave me a face. I, definitely, I didn't know, I was not aware that that was in, in the <laughs> cards, but I don't think that's a bad idea. But my point being is that every time we do this, even if it took an extra week, it hopefully sounds a little better and is getting a little better. Yeah. Um, for those that missed it, well, we didn't put a full episode out last week. We did one on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which has been pretty cool. Yeah. First time we've been trolled for our politics, or I've been trolled for my politics. Yeah. But People's opinions don't matter. You know what? <laughs> Actually, I, I felt fairly confident writing back to the people who had an issue pointing out yeah. that if they listened, it was perhaps more balanced than... It was not partisan at all, No, the episode. We no. tend to try to leave those things out of the podcast. It really, we tend to leave those things at the she door. She was just a cool lady, and we like people who stand up for their for their their values and their beliefs. I she did was definitely promise, someone who did that. I did promise one of the trolls that I would do, we would figure out a way to work an episode in on... Well, Antonin Scalia. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was thinking uh, Schwarzenegger. Okay. Republican. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Had a legendary life. That's true. We'll balance the scales. Yeah, whatever. We'll so that is one potential special we've got coming up. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> whatever reason. Um, the other thing is we've also had some really nice comments mm. from some people who listen. Yeah, great. And a big thank you to Finch. Oh, my God. McCranega. Sorry. Uh, Instagram handle, <laughs> who told us he was really enjoying what we're doing. So thank you. And then a really great message from Hannah.a.kennedy on Instagram, who thanked us, said she loves the direction the podcast is going, which cool. is really, really cool because we are enjoying it too. But also suggested that maybe we take a go at the 1957 Delatov Pass which is an incident that I actually know a little about. Cool. So Adam and I will have a little conversation and figure out whether we want to do yeah. it as a special. Well, what is it? What's, can we just, let's just, let's do it quickly now. What's, well, I'll give, what's you, the I'll give you the, give me a really broad. Overwhelming thing is uh, it was a bunch of hikers. And by the way, this is just what I know from listening to other podcasts. Yeah. A bunch of hikers were hiking in Russia uh -huh. and they disappeared. They're like last photo of them is sending up camp and they disappeared and like, I believe some of them died from hypothermia, mm -hmm. but they were all naked, and some of them were missing okay. bits of their body. Sounds and Blair Witchy. It's a little Blair Witchy. I think that it has... That's what I thought you meant when you said the word pass. I was like, that's got to be a mountain thing. Yeah, so they were hiking or skiing or something. And the theories, I think, have ranged from, like, aliens to yetis hmm. to... That'll cover everything, uh, <clears throat> What else? Uh, KGB? Okay. I think one of them was supposed to be in the KGB. Ah, okay. I'm not really sure when this took... Oh, wait, I've got a hit, 1959. I wait. think you also said that <laughs> when we started talking about it, so you do know I exactly... I do know exactly when it happened, <laughs> which is weird, because I th swear to God I've seen photos of it, and they didn't... To me, it didn't look 
that's suspicious. Dated. Oh, was that dated. Hmm. Well, 1959 more... is not. It's only 60 years ago. Not that no, long it's ago. 70 years ago. 1960. It's 2020. Oh, it is 60 years ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast isn't about math. No. All you nerds. If you're here for math, you're in the wrong place. Unless we're doing a math science episode, Ugh. at which point we're struggling our way through it. Might be talking about Fibonacci or something. So I actually don't know what Adam's doing today because he keeps telling me he's not doing what he said he was going to do. Yeah. But uh, honestly, the, the one that I was going to do next week, which is now this week because we're leaving next week. Oh, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Um, Would have probably fit in better with Rasputin. Okay. But I, I think it's fine. So I am doing Rasputin. Yes. And what Adam means, and we are going to try and get a recording done so that while he's away... Um, one goes out. One goes out. It may be that I do a solo episode. Maybe we'll try oh. something like that. But... Uh, Adam is about to embark on a big charity thing. Yeah. Um, if none of you know, and I don't think we've shared this on our Instagram. No. But if you're following Dora's other Instagram, History Through a House, which if you're not, you should be. It's documenting the, the full transformation of an old Victorian. No. Neanderthalic. Really? <laughs> it's ancient. This old ancient house that she and her husband, Ben, have purchased in the south of England. And it's just, it's showing everything that's happening. And it's really cool. And I highly recommend following it. And that's not just because I live in that house. <laughs> it's because it is actually very cool. Um, ben, also separately of that Instagram account, runs a podcast with his friend Gunner called The Swingdom. And one day we were sitting around with some of our friends. And uh, Ben was like, I want to do like a Top Gear adventure. And... We were like, okay, well, what if we hiked Hadrian's Wall? And we were like, that sounds kind of fun. Um, how can we make it super crazy? And Ben was like, well, we should play golf along the wall. We were like, okay, that sounds kind of cool too. How do we make it crazy? And Ben was like, we should carry our golf clubs. So in a week, Ben and I are embarking on the 100 miles, 100 holes on Hadrian's Wall golf charity rambling tour. <laughs> we are doing it in aid of Rowcroft Hospice. Uh, they're a local charity down here in Devon, and they mean a lot to a couple members of our production team here at The Gist. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be good fun. Um, it's going to be crazy. So look for the hashtag, 100 miles, 100 holes. You're also doing it in honor of the Golf Foundation. And the Golf Foundation, you got to get better at pitching yeah, this. Sorry. Um, yeah, go look for the hashtag. We have a Virgin Money giving page if you yeah. feel like donating. It's UK Virgin Money forward slash 100 miles, 100 holes. Um, go check it out, though. We've got YouTube videos up on the Swingdom's YouTube channel. And yeah, guys, seriously, it's for a really, really good cause. I'm really proud of both Adam and Ben for embarking on it. It's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do by any stretch of the imagination. No. But please come check it out. I know a lot of you guys are from America, so therefore a couple of British charities maybe don't float your boat. But the whole point of this is to raise money and awareness for Rowcroft, which looks after... People who are dying of cancer. Yeah, life limiting illnesses. Yeah, and their families who obviously have their own yeah. things they have to deal with while that happens. And then the Gold Foundation, which is really big into getting younger and disabled people yeah. out and playing golf. Yeah, they're very in innovative and they're, they're pioneering a lot of ways to make golf more accessible. Yeah, and, and with that comes this fact the fact that they're also at the forefront of mental health issues to do with outdoor sports, mm -hmm. very specifically golf, because it is low impact. It is able to be done by many different yeah. forms of physicalities. Mm -hmm. And we love that. Yeah, we really, really love that and really, really love what they're doing. 
So even if you know we don't we don't have a Patreon, we don't have a. No. That's not who we are. That's not what we're doing. Certainly not right now. But if you do enjoy what we do and you want to help out. Please, please, please. I'm going to post something about it on the yeah, Legendary so Tales Yeah, anything golfy shows up on your Instagram, <laughs> don't be surprised. Uh, no, uh, please follow the link. And even if you can give a pound or a dollar or whatever, England have a really cool thing called Gift Aid where mm. they actually, anything you give, they will uh, match it with a percentage. Mm-hmm. So there's some really cool stuff that we're registered for on that. And it's very, very cool. Yeah. All right. Onto it. That is the longest intro I think we've ever done. Yeah, rocking in at a close to nine minutes. Oh, geez. Well, let's get to the let's get to the the legends now. Okay. All right. So it's because we haven't done one in a week, so we had like just a lot like of ground weeks, to co- cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of housekeeping, which we should do in here because there's rice all over the floor. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long story. Welcome I, to the I, Legendary I, Tales podcast. We have rice on our floor. I drop my phone a lot. It has to get sat in bags of rice on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> so we basis. leave piles of rice on several <laughs> floors and several rooms on this property so Dora can just stick her phone in the rice no matter where she is. Every time she spills it. <laughs> spills on it. All right. So I'm doing Rasputin, mm-hmm. which was weird. I, yeah. I, I feel like whenever... Because obviously when I think Rasputin, I think of the Disney movie Anastasia. Mm-hmm. But when you learn about, like, real Rasputin, you're just sort of like, oh, he was just kind of a guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also always think of him maybe because, let's face it, 1900s Russia was basically, like, 1700s anywhere else. Mm. But I always <laughs> think of him as being, like, I, I you forget that he was actually around in a time where the car was invented. Right, yeah. Whereas. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone thought, but everyone thought he was, like, a. Horrible, crazy magician. Shaman. Yeah. Um, So that was pretty interesting to kind of keep putting that in perspective Mm -hmm. as I did stuff. But also, you know, his um, reputed daughter, Maria Rasputin, only died, okay, my math is really bad, but I think like 40 years ago. Okay. In the 80s. In the 80s, I think. And she was a lion tamer. She was also really cool. Okay. I didn't Um, know that he had any offspring. So it's a bit like the Anastasia thing, which is... Could have been. Okay. Uh, she claimed to be okay. his offspring. Used the he surname. He did have kids. Okay. There's photos of him with his family and children. We'll get into that in a minute. But whether she was it, this is a time before DNA. Gotcha. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, all right. My sources. Smithsonian Magazine. Biography.com. Time. Sky History, which had a really very biased, scandalous, like... <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, uh, well, it might have been historically factual, who knows, but I certainly didn't find much to back up their crazy rumors. (laughs) And it's very specific, uh, Russiapedia, who knew that was a thing. But then a lot of this information came from a couple of different articles on a website called All That's Interesting, Mm -hmm. which I really like as a website. One was by Richard Stockton, and one was by Abby Norman. And interestingly, a lot of the previous sources that I've talked about, the stuff that I got from them was boiler point the same. Mm-hmm. It was the all that's interesting articles that actually kind of fleshed out a bit more information mm-hmm. about his life. They didn't necessarily source their information. Yeah. So I don't know where that came from. Gotcha. 
I will have just cut out my observation from our dungeon, mm. but our dungeon happens to be at ground level. Mm. Like there's a one window in it yeah. and you can just see feet walking by. So I really have to get around to putting up the curtains so that then I'm yeah. not distracted halfway through what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. So Rasputin was born to a peasant family in the Siberian village of Potorovsky. Hey, that sounded pretty good. Maybe. In Timonzunki Diaz of Tobolos Governor. I take it back. Yeah, right. <laughs> um and yeah, he was he was not even a pleasant child. <laughs> <laughs> Did you assume that he would have been? I really had no assumptions. Mm. I I have to say that having now learnt about him, he might be one of the most repulsive people I've ever read about. Okay. Um and I don't say that often. Or lightly. No. So Cited people excited cited examples of extreme cruelty. He went around saying he possessed supernatural powers, and this is before like this is before he went and got crazy. Okay. So in 1897, I didn't get a birth year from him particularly, mm. but I'm assuming somewhere around 1880. Okay. Um, it I've put in here 23 question mark is how old he might have been in 1897, but something else said 19. So somewhere around there, he went uh, off on a pilgrimage to learn about well, to basically learn more about the Russian Orthodox Church. And he started this, like, massive form of religious conversion. At 19, he'd wed someone called Protrovskia. Why am I trying? Um, they had had... It, uh, so this is a lot of conflicting information. Mm -hmm. So it says here they had three children and two died shortly after birth. I, on the other hand, saw a picture of him and his wife holding three children, mm -hmm. some of whom had definitely not died shortly after birth. Okay. So, and that's what I mean by Maria Rasputin, his daughter. Yeah. It's a bit hard to... To know for sure. To know for sure. In his early 20s, he would travel back and forth from Greece and the Middle East, making pilgrimages to various holy sites. Mm -hmm. And then this is where... The that's all interesting came in because that was as much information as I got from the other sources. Apparently, when he got home, he was not the most fun person to have as a husband. Mm. Every time he came through the door to his family home, he insisted on man mandatory prayers and religious services that could last many hours. He celebrated every holiday, saint's day, birthday, anniversary, and special occasion by forcing everyone to fast and kneel in prayer all evening. Oh, my. He insisted on mandatory prayer and religious services, um, and he forbade any work on the Sabbath, and instead of doing any work on the farm that they owned himself, he often convened religious meetings in the village square and would preach for hours. So, religious-wise, getting rather annoying, I would have thought, yeah. to his wife, who was <laughs> like, wait, I've got... One to four children at home. <laughs> <laughs> and you keep disappearing off. I want someone to animate that and, and just have his Petrovsky, uh, whatever her name yeah. was, like having one baby and then holding four babies <laughs> and just having a big question mark over. Like how many children <laughs> she actually have? I have one to five children. And maybe. you're annoying and leave and go to the Holy Land. <laughs> when fasting. you come home, you refuse to do any work. <laughs> and we're Make, not allowed to eat. And we're not allowed to eat. <laughs> yeah. Like, Thank you. <laughs> 
that wasn't the worst of it, though. Oh, great. In his non-religious life, he was fairly well known for being a bit weird. He had a habit of talking to himself, mm. even though he was supposed to have taken a vow of silence. <laughs> so, okay, he came home. He was also silent, not working, fasting, and praying all the time. At least he was sort of out of the way, I guess. Yeah, he may as well not come home. Uh, he also had a number of disturbing facial and body tics. While distracted or talking, his arms would jerk and his hands fluttered wildly. Sometimes his whole torso would seize momentarily as he made a particularly emphatic point. So maybe definitely muscular Tourette's, right? It, uh, this was like the, er the, the early 1900s. Which is the 1700s yeah. in Russia. So yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> Seizures, epilepsy. Um, people generally like mocked him. Um, and when they did, he'd beat them up. <laughs> <laughs> and... but it, Is there a nice word about this guy anywhere? No, really. <laughs> I'm going to... No, there's just... I guess he didn't make the children that he treated sicker later on. <laughs> um, so, uh, so actually, all of this attracted more people mm -hmm. to his weird religious cons fanaticism. Fanaticism of waving arms and beating people up, <laughs> and lots of people started coming to his religious services, and he did healings and miracles apparently, and eventually. By 1902, he'd got way too many people. Like, he couldn't physically hold services in his house or in the church anymore. Mm -hmm. So he went off again and never came back to his wife and one to five children. So he was very successful <laughs> and then just left. Yes, to be more successful. Somewhere else. Elsewhere. Okay. But Protrovsky, uh, I guess, was left at home. Although Maria, his daughter, wrote in her diary about being raised along with the Romanov sisters. Okay. So maybe he took one kid with him. Or he had a kid there. Well, we'll get into how many children he potentially had. This is a Boris Johnson situation. Yes, it's absolutely. <laughs> he has somewhere between one and 28 children. Oh, my God. I don't know. No, I don't know. That's <laughs> okay. True. That's Boris. I was like, oh, my Lord. That's Boris. <laughs> um, okay, so he went to a monastery in Kiev. Oh, we've talked about Kiev. Yeah. So we went to a monastery in Kiev. That's in Belarus. Good knowledge, good memory. Well, I did the episode on, on Chernobyl. Well, he went to Kiev. <laughs> Chernobyl wasn't there yet. No, it might have been. <laughs> they were probably a lot further ahead than Russia. Um, so he went and did some religious instruction there and basically started to like gain legitimacy, I guess, by having this religious instruction as well as his fan base. Okay. In 2003... What? 1903. <laughs> sorry, they're not that behind. In 1903, maybe, he went to St. Petersburg, where he became a society figure, and eventually he got introduced to Emperor Nicholas and Empress Alexander. The Romanovs. The Roman... Uh, yes. Yeah. And this is when he went from being a weird, dirty, creepy man to being a weird, dirty, creepy man who the Tsar reader of Russia trusted. <laughs> with <laughs> massive amounts of power. Yeah, with huge amounts of so power. So I'm curious. So yeah. did, 
Okay, so so <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question. So did people think he was like an oracle or did they think he had some sort of like divine connection and that's why people were so drawn to him? Uh, apparently he was very magnetic when you were in his company. He must have been like very charismatic in some yes. way. And some people do believe that he was a shaman-y type okay. figure. Others believe he was possessed by the devil. Okay. Others believe he was just a weird, crazy, dirty old man. Probably more, yes. So here's the thing that he did do, though. So Zarian Alexandria gave birth to Alexei, who was her the only son they had. They had a host of daughters. Alexei was the heir. Okay. Mm-hmm. He had hemophilia. Okay. So when the Russian people heard about the fact that he had hemophilia, they blamed the Tsarina because she was a woman. German. Ah. Not Russian. And this obviously really upset her because no mother wants to be told that they're the reason. Actually, let's be clear, scientific advancement has proved that he was the reason because hemophilia has passed through the male line, I think. The Y chromosome. Sure. One of those. Um, But unable to find any doctors who could cure her son's condition or alleviate her symptoms, Rasputin stepped forward and said, I can do this. Now, he actually did help the kid, which is pretty much the basis of all his power, I guess. Mm-hmm. He helped him because what he did was he told them that he didn't need anything more than prayers and faith healing. So they took him off aspirin, which had uh. been invented and was being used at this point. Aspirin, blood thinner. Yeah. So someone who has hemophilia who's been given a whole load of aspirin, their condition's going to look a lot worse than if they are not taking aspirin. Okay. So legitimately, to those that didn't understand what was going on, he was curing him of hemophilia, Mm -hmm. or at least alleviating the symptoms. So Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas. Very lucky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tsar Nicholas wrote to one of his ministers in 1906, a few days ago, I received a peasant from the Tobolsk district, Grigory Rasputin, who bought me an icon of St. Simon something or other. He made a remarkably strong impression on both Her Majesty and on myself, so that instead of five minutes, our conversation went on for more than an hour. So kind of from the very beginning, he had just like totally ingratiated himself with mm. the Tsar and Tsarina. So, yeah. I, and like you said. Just dumb luck? Uh, yeah. He was really good at calming the Tsarina as well, like he had a really um like unshakable attitude of like we're gonna make him better, everything's gonna be fine, mm-hmm. which really helped calm her down, which considering everyone was saying that she was to blame for her son's condition and all the rest of it. Very helpful. Was really helpful. So most of the people at court then hated him. Because he had ingratiated himself so yeah, quickly. Because he'd yeah. come in and he was just, a peasant. A yeah, dirty, he'd come in. Peasant. He literally smelled. Okay, I think like, I've heard that about him. People like legitimately wrote about how stinky he was, <laughs> and he had come in and really quickly made himself a part of the, the most powerful people in Russia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So consequently, people started to try to kill him. As you do. As you do. The first known attempt on his life. Uh, came in the summer of 1914. Uh, 
the Tsarina had called Rasputin to come and discuss the threat of war from Austria. Mm-hmm. So around this time, the Tsar had also started to move into actually going away on military campaigns with his people, not just staying at home, mm-hmm. which left the Tsarina in charge a bit more. So he was heading to help the Tsarina when he stopped in the street to give money to what he thought was an old beggar woman, who was actually, by the way, later found out to be a uh, prostitute. Like a retired prostitute is what they said. Oh. Sex worker. Sex worker. Yes, sorry. Retired sex worker. And he stopped to give her money, but she was actually this 33-year-old woman, Kihona Gustava, in disguise. And while he was going through his pockets to give her money, she produced a dagger and stuck him above the navel with the dagger. Now, there's two different accounts here. I think they both came from the same website. So Mm. one apparently is she screamed, I have killed the Antichrist. And then swinging her knife, she ran after Rasputin, who was staggering down the street, clutching his entrails in his hands. A crowd crowd quickly gathered, capturing the frantic woman and handing her over to the police. In the days that followed, Rasputin was in critical condition and whatever, rumors of his death. Okay, okay. The other side of it said, instead of falling down or going into shock having been stabbed, Rasputin ran to a nearby growth of trees, grabbed a stick, which he used to beat the fleeing woman. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, not funny, but kind of funny. Well, it's one of the two. Um, He got better from his stab wounds with the help of a skilled doctor. No, not from the help of a whole load of praying. And because of his own enormous physical strength. Was he a tall guy? I don't know. Because they're describing him as like a, like well, basically like a dirty thug, but like a very physically powerful person. It's really interesting because it really seemed like you looked at him and saw one of two things. Yeah. Like, you either looked at him and saw this like imposing, towering figure of charismatic strength, mm-hmm. or you looked at him and thought, bleh. Yeah. Hmm. That was my most descriptive. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, He thinks that a monk named Iliod was the conspirator in the assassination attempt, but she says that he wasn't. She the stabber? She the stabber. Um, But he had recently launched a slander campaign against Rasputin, denouncing him as a false prophet. Um, I should have done the false prophet this week. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, She, the, the... Former sex worker said that she, former sex worker turned, turned. political assassin, <laughs> said um, said that he had nothing to do with it. She just thought the devil was inside Rasputin. Okay. That's why she stabbed him. Uh, Let the devil out. She was locked up in a madhouse. I think that's not totally outside of the realm of nope. reasonability. Weirdly, Iliod, Iliodor. The monk. The monk. Somehow ended up as a janitor in New York City. Yeah. It's not really the same sort of career change that the, the retired sex worker had. No, no, no. I, I And honestly, I didn't bother going into how his life went from being one of the top monks in the whole of Imperial Russia to a janitor in New York City. Yeah. Got to assume it was to do with the revolution. Yeah. But still. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Just yeah. an interesting thing. 
Um, so Tsar Nicholas was off with his actual armies by 1915, which meant that Tsarina was at home doing... So, well, it kind of had a double fold, right? The Tsar was literally with his armies as they got defeated in battle. Mm-hmm. So he got blamed personally for all his army's defeats. And she was at home as everything... Doing government. Doing government while everyone was starving and the battles were failing. And that is, that, that's that so, good. And she was German. Oh, yeah, so double whammy. So double whammy. So really, they were very, very hated. Okay. Okay? Um, a lot of rumors started, like, circulating that the Tsarina and Rasputin were having an affair. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, they were saying that he was totally in control of the government, that he was, in fact, running Russia, that... Uh, it was World War One at this point, mm-hmm. so every time the Tsar got a defeat, they said that it was because Rasputin was back in the seat of power. Not a popular person. Then it got even worse, because along with his sexual exploits, he was also uh, drink, drunk heavily, visited brothels, clashed with other religious monks, and a lot of this is to do with the fact that they thought he was a member of what's called the Kilst... Religious sect, which I then went into because it sounded really interesting. So this is a underground spiritual Christian sect which split from the Russian Orthodox Church and existed from 1645 until the late 20th century. Apparently, it's a form of millennialism as well, which basically believes that paradise, heaven will become earth or earth will Mm. become heaven or it will become heaven shortly before it's destroyed, something. But they had about 40,000 followers in total, and each cell, by the way, any any religious sect that divides itself into cells automatically to me becomes like a terrorist sect, which Mm. is horribly offensive to, I'm sure, the very legitimate religions out there. Mm. But (laughs) each each cell was led by a male and female leader, who were known as Christ and the Mother of God, respectively, which seems blasphemous in its yeah it's by itself by, by its core. The cells were referred to as arcs among amongst the members, and it was quite a secret society. So, like you would have to communicate between the arcs secretly. Mm-hmm. Um, they were often to subject persecution, mainly because they sound creepy. Yeah, how was that? How was that not the topic of a movie about Rasputin? It, it gets weirder. <laughs> Um, and they were perceived as a subversive element by the 19th century Russian authorities. A subversive element, like to the government? or Yeah. To... Okay. Okay. Um, it was said to have been founded by a peasant, um, and their theory was that, it, firstly, you can directly communicate with the Holy Spirit, and his embodiment is in living people, hence, I guess, why... The leaders are called Christ. Okay. Because they're not, they are Christ. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Um, you're still allowed to attend Orthodox churches, but the central religion was a practice called ascetism. Hang on. Asceticism. I don't know. What's that word there? Somewhere there. Um, uh, Their central practice was it's a, asceticism. Asceticism? Asceticism, I think. Because okay. they're, yeah. It was that. Yep. And 
they believed that to be able to repute, re, repent your sins, you had to have sinned. Okay. So, good Lord, did they sin. <laughs> that was, like, the whole purpose of it. They had, like, rumored to have turned into sexual orgies, um, self-flagellation, drinking. Mm. It was all encouraged because how can you repent for something that you haven't done? Okay. <laughs> I get, like, I, like I, the, I can follow that logical train. So this was, in theory, what he was doing yeah. as he poured himself around Russia. <laughs> but um, this was apparently the governess of the Grand Duchesses of Russia, mm-hmm. who I guess must have been Anastasia and their yeah. cohorts were the Grand Duchesses. And she was horrified that the Tsar was actually allowed access to the Grand Duchesses when they were in their nightgowns. Uh-huh. And for her, that was enough that he was a member of the sect. Okay. Um, his daughter, like, strongly contested this, saying that he investigated that particular religious sect but rejected it. Okay. Which I don't think is a super strong denial. Can I read that bit of your notes again really quickly? Yeah. I have to edit this out, but I've just looked up the word as- ascetic, and I was, so I was correct in that. Okay. So asceticism, or ascetic, the noun, yeah. is characterized by severe self-discipline, which would include the flagellation, and like I'm sure they wore like mole shirts and yeah. put nails in their shoes yeah. or whatever, and abstention from all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Yes, and I guess... Maybe they were ascetic only in the sort of, like, in the self-discipline. In, in the sense that they felt that they would repent themselves of their sin. They would... Maybe. I don't know. That's in, well, no. That, that was just interesting because I, I distinctly remember, like, I know some of, like, Tibetan monks are, like, that sort of... You know of re- some Tibetan monks? That's Personally. Cool. I know that, like, in, the, like, that sort of... Mm-hmm. I don't even know the name of that, but, but that sort of Buddhism is, yeah. is a form of asceticism. Which sounds like the opposite of, of this. Yeah, so there's a, a quote from C.L. Salzburg, who wrote a book called The Fall of the Eagles, and he says that the foremost idea was that the salvation could be attained only by total repentance, and that this becomes more achievable, far more achievable, for one who has truly transgressed. Okay. Sin in order that you may obtain forgiveness. That is so weird. So they were like, if we sin bigger, we'll be more forgiven. Yes. That's so bizarre. That, I mean, so I guess that this has generally disappeared, Mm. but there are a few. There's Frankism, which is a Jewish religious movement. Kaltanovskius, which is a Finnish cult, Mm. which, by the way, might have to totally get into at some point. <laughs> we haven't talked about the Netherlands yet. No. Or the Slavic countries no. on this podcast. Um, there's a novel based on it called Silver Dove. And the Skopsi, Skopsi is a Russian cult and apparent offshoot of it from the same time period who believed in castration, self-mutilation, and total sexual abstinence. Mm. So I guess really you just took away from it whatever you wanted. Well, that's, that's sort of how I define religion anyway. So that's okay. So weirdos. That's what he was doing. Um, I will say that some of this again came from the Sky History article, which was like he slept with this person Uh, and this person, and I was like, "Wow, that's a laundry list." Yeah. Um. I mean, this is I think a quote from them. 
However, though he did frequently entertain in salons, there is no... Oh, no, this isn't for him. This is the, re the like, rebuttal. There is no evidence to suggest that Rasputin was, in fact, a sex-crazed maniac <laughs> who had a secret <laughs> affair with the Russian queen. Also, it's fair to say that what we're going to talk about in a minute is when he did get assassinated, mm -hmm. and then most of did the people... Did he get assassinated? He really did. Okay. Uh, no, he really did. <laughs> we will talk about how long it took to, in fact, achieve that goal. Um, and then all the people that he worked for and loved him also got killed in the Russian Revolution. Mm. So therefore, the only people left... Were the, the, the... Yeah. Were the people that... Hated him. Hated him. So you got to balance out the... Yeah. The sources, mm -hmm. really. They managed to wipe out the almost bias. anyone that would be positive about him. So, as his fortunes rose, so did the number of people that wanted to kill him. He would often, he often came out and said that, like, his life was under threat. Um, and that he wrote a whole long letter to Nicholas about how everyone wanted to kill him and how much <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> Um, and I may actually have quoted it somewhere in here, so we will get there, but maybe not. And he would uh, apparently get drunk and start boasting about how close he was to the Tsarina, doing a lot of stuff that potentially didn't help his yeah. cause of Don't Kill Me. And there was this guy, Felix Yaspov, and he was born to a line of increasingly mad aristocrats. His father had a fetish for eating... By the way, this came from the All That's Interesting article. Mm. His father had a fetish for eating dinner in different rooms every night, including the servant's pantry. His aunt bred silkworms that filled every room of her estate and covered the furniture. And his grandfather occupied his time by arranging marriages amongst his peasants to selectively breed girls for their beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so. Yes. This is our. This it, is our. It's a video game. This is our man, <laughs> Felix. <laughs> this is our guy. This is our guy. This is our hero. Uh huh. Felix. He went to Oxford. He got educated in Oxford. Oh God. <laughs> uh, and you got to remember, this is like if you're an, if you're an alumna of, of, of Oxford in the early 1910s. At all, you, at all. At all. Know that. Know that this, that, 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 that your university allowed this man to go to college there. Um, <laughs> and okay, so he was married off to the Tsar's niece when he got back from Oxford. Okay. And they were actually in Germany when the war broke out. Uh, the Germans detained them because you know they were fighting the Germans and the yeah. Tsarina's German and there's a lot of anti-German feeling there. Mm. And Felix managed to get um, back to Russia a few months into the hostilities. Where he found Rasputin, Rasputin in charge. Yeah. And he apparently despised Rasputin for aesthetic reasons. With his kafgan, baggy breeches, and great top boots, he looked exactly what he was, a peasant. He had a low, common face. Oh, my God. Wow. What, an, what a butt. <laughs> he also, as I'm spoiling the ending here, this is the dude that killed him, uh, wrote some <laughs> incredibly detailed accounts on how he achieved this. Oh. So many of the sources that I worked through actually quoted directly from his accounts on how he killed him. So he was killed on December 30th, 
30th, 1916, which is actually December 17th in the Russian calendar. Okay. Just, I, whatever. Um, so, oh, I forgot to mention, Felix was a prince. Um, he was also one of the richest men in Russia. So Helps. He was, like, politically as protected as you could possibly mm-hmm. be in the circumstances of going to kill the head of your country's best friend. And he wrote it in his memoirs that were published in 1928 that he invited Rasputin to his palace and they'd soundproofed the cellar for the murder. For the murdering. And (laughs) so he told Rasputin they were going to eat in the cellar, which apparently was like, I've seen actually pictures of the cellar. It was beautiful. Okay. This is not like, it's not a basement. No. Yeah. And by the all sounds of things, his whole family were a little insane. So I'm imagining Rasputin turning up and him being like, we're going to eat in the cellar was okay. probably like, all right, all right, whatever. So, um, and, and he, he was not a well-liked prince either. So he made it out like he was trying to curry Rasputin's favor. Mm-hmm. He like somehow got out of going to war uh, one of Nicholas II's daughters, named the Grand Duchess Olga, wrote about Felix that he was a downright civilian, <laughs> dressed all in brown, virtually doing nothing, an utterly unpleasant impression, a man idling in such times. Oh, Russia <laughs> sounds awful in the 1900s. <laughs> so you have a low common face and an idle peasant an civilian. Idle, an idle civilian. Having dinner in a cellar. But he thought this might be his way to reinvent himself, right? Because everyone in Russia basically blamed Rasputin for how badly stuff was going. So his theory was, kill Rasputin. Uh, Yeah. Russia will... Get better. Get better. So they take him down to the basement, and they served him a platter of cakes and wine, all laced with potassium cyanide. So why did they have to soundproof it if they poisoned him? That it's not like they blew him up. Also, it was his palace. Yeah, no one's like no one's gonna no one like your servants aren't gonna rat on you for no. And he had someone. a bunch of friends there ready to. Uh, he had a bunch of friends involved in this plot with him, who were all just like waiting upstairs. Yeah. Um. Who he just, as we will find, just every once in a while would leave the round room randomly and chat with them. Oh. Leave the room with Rast- Leave room. Rasputin in this cellar, Eating, and yeah. he'd go chat with his co-conspirators because, well, Rasputin drunk a lot of poison didn't, and didn't, die. didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he completely appeared unaffected. So he borrowed a revolver <laughs> and shot him multiple times, but he still didn't die. And according to his memoir, this devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. There was something appalling monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. He came quite close to me and looked me full in the face. I was as though he'd come to read something in my eyes, something he had not expected to find. I realized the hour had come. Oh, Lord, I prayed, give me the strength to finish it. I guess he, like, literally said... To shoot him. I don't remember where I got this because it's not in this particular thing. But like he was like, hey, why don't you look over there? Look at the pretty artwork on my wall. And the moment Rasputin turned around, he just shot him. Okay. Um, 
So they calm down and they check and they're like, okay, he's dead. One of the guys upstairs was a doctor and was like, oh, it's really near his heart. Like, he's, he's dead. dead. Yeah. So they go upstairs to start figuring out their cover story. And it's not long before he starts feeling a little, yes, Yasupov starts feeling a little uneasy. So he goes back downstairs. Rasputin's gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite there. He shook the body, still didn't see any signs of life. Then Rasputin's eyes opened. <laughs> and he says, the eye, green eyes of a viper staring at me with an expression of diabolical hatred. This guy really fancied himself as a writer, I think. Yeah. Um, Rasputin lunged at him, snarling like an animal. And he yelled, quick, come down, he's alive. So down come the other people. And they saw Rasputin climbing, clawing his way up the stairs on his hands and knees, covered in blood, heading towards a side door leading out into the courtyard. Obviously, they couldn't have that yeah. because... He's supposed to be dead. He's supposed to be dead. Plus, if he gets out, he's going to go tell the Tsarina. Yeah. So they shoot him a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And finally, they get him in the head. Okay. And Should have tried that the first time, I think. <laughs> finally, they get him in the head, and he collapses to the ground. So he has a couple of servants again. So far, they've poisoned him in the soundproof basement and then shot him all over the palace. That's a good thing they, it's a good thing they soundproofed it, I guess. Um, they wrapped him in his body in heavy carpets, tied him with chains, took the body to a bridge over the Neva River and dumped him into an unfrozen patch of water below. Okay. Uh, Isn't that how he dies in the Anastasia? I don't know. I really don't remember that movie. It's really good. Uh, however, there was reportedly water in his lungs when his remains were discovered, so they still failed. Oh, to my God. And he finally died by, died by drive, uh, drowning. By driving. By driving. There's another account that when they pulled him up frozen out the river, he was also still alive. <laughs> Some peasants pulled him up and he was also apparently still alive. Dude refused to die. Okay. So hours after the assassination, you know, the his death was being openly celebrated in the press, violating the emergency censorship restrictions, barring mentioning the murder, because I guess maybe Zarina had said you can't mention that he got murdered. I'm wondering, if, was that a was that thing that something that they put into place when he died, or was that a, an act that was already? I'm a, I'm guessing that Russia at that time had some sort of press censorship. Yeah, that probably. was like you can't you can't tell the public if a member of our royalty dies. Basically, yeah. Um, there were parties in the streets. The country was with us, full of confidence in the future. Yes. Yes, a pub, right. Except no one liked him either. No. The, pa <laughs> the papers published enthusiastic articles in which they claimed that Rasputin's death meant the defeat of the powers of evil and held out golden, golden hopes for the future. Weren't they losing a war? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so everyone knew that these guys had killed him. Yeah. They were not being quiet about it. But she couldn't prove it. And with all his connections... She the Tsarina. Yeah, the Tsarina. They couldn't do anything to prosecute them. And they got exiled. That was it. <laughs> um, Maria, his daughter, said at the funeral, many places in the little chapel were empty for the crowds that had knocked at my father's door while he still lived to ask some advice, service, and uh, neglected to come and offer up a prayer for him once he was dead, which mm. is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, real quick, for a time, Maria Rasputin and her sister remained with the Romanovs, 
but when it and his family remained with the Romanovs, but it became clear that they too were at risk. Alexandra gave them five fifty thousand rubles and told them to run for their lives. That's like two hundred dollars. Apparently, they did run for their lives. Then she became a lion tamer. Cool. Um, it was all for nothing, obviously, because we all know how the next few months of the Romanovs' lives yeah. and deaths went. Not well. No. Um. Nobody, I mean, yes, Yesipov still says that it was his fault because Rasputin had for so many years led the Tsarina and Tsar that once he was gone, there was no one that could lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it left basically a power vacuum. But without him to blame, they really didn't have anyone else left to blame yeah. other than the Tsar and Tsarina. Yeah. He was just a holding space, I guess. Yeah. Um, March 1917, the people rose up. It was not in defense of the Tsar, obviously, which is what Yasupov had thought it would be, but it was too, yeah. And according to legend, even at this point, he was considered to be up and walking around and alive and a few other bits and pieces. Mm. Like, they, uh, he was legendary, I guess. Um... Interestingly, I finished it off with a little thing here, which is kind of where we started, which are accounts of his life and influence were often based on rumor. Yeah. There, there isn't much of what I've said that isn't rumored. Yeah. His daughter Maria had written a memoir and kept her diaries, and I guess in some ways her accounts would be seen as the most valid mm-hmm. version of his life or they bias in a different, I guess, balancing yeah. version of his life. Were they ever published? They are, and she's done written quite a lot of books. But then there's so many question marks as to whether she is actually his daughter. Yeah, yeah. and but obviously the, his body isn't anywhere, is it? Do no, I don't. I couldn't find evidence of where yeah, his body was. Wouldn't be able to do any testing. No. Uh, so really everyone that said anything about him. Positively. Right. Or negatively yeah. has had Yeah. Has had massive amounts of bias. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to separate the rumors and the things, and that's why he's legendary, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I think well th- yeah, it's it's one of those things um where like obviously he was in a position of great power for seemingly no reason. Yeah. And uh, people did not like him very much and Russia was was in a very tumultuous It position. was not his fault. No. I wanna be I I think he sounds like a really, really grody guy. horrible human. Yeah. And I would definitely not want him anywhere near my pack of daughters. Yeah. Uh and I don't blame the 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 Duchess. The Duchess's nurse for being like No. No, this is really odd. Yeah. Uh no, I totally wouldn't want him anywhere near them either. But uh he's not to blame for Russia's Downfall in World War right, One. Right, right, right. They did that to themselves. Yes, they did. Well, everyone did that to themselves, I yep. guess. Yeah, it was a world war. Anyway, yeah, that's Rasputin. It's just one of those things. Yeah, where uh, you know he's he's very uh, not he's not he's not um, what's it called when you have you know it's not like there's no argument really about whether or not he was a good person, but like, no. he was he was he was so mysterious in a in a great position of power that yeah, and like details just fill in. Believed in shamans and magic and stuff. Yeah, particularly there. So 
I mean, we, I, you know, it's what we do here. I came at it from this very uh, neutral, neutral and skeptical, yeah, thing. position where yeah. I don't believe he was a magician. No, <laughs> uh, but you know, at that point, he was rumored to have com- committed. Sounds awful. Performed miracles. Yeah, committed miracles. <laughs> committed miracles. Performed miracles and uh, really, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I, I have a quote that sort of ties it back into that sort of, um, it's sort of that like people, it's like people, so when we talk about like people in the past, yeah. there's, there's this, there's a philosophical practice called rationalism Mm -hmm. and obviously it's diametric opposite is irrationality yeah and we have i think occasionally when we talk about these things in a sociological sort of way we have a bad habit of of having rationally rationality and irrationality and we have sort of on the the rational side of things what what we would see as rational being like this is like the truth because we've come at it from the basis of, like, scientific fact. And irrationality, we say, like, well, this is obviously not true because it's not, like, based on any sort of science. But you have to frame it in the time period at which these things take place. Yeah. And like you said, the people in Russia at this point were, uh, were did believe that people could be shamans yeah. and did believe that, like, people had this divine connection. Yeah. And so to them it would have been rational for him to have been a magician and a, and a, and a shaman or a cold... Ma- yeah, or the Antichrist. Or the Antichrist. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's an, an important thing to keep in and mind. And that for removing aspirin, we think, okay, removing aspirin and the hemophiliac getting better yeah, obviously. makes sense. Yeah. But for them, they would never have... No, because they didn't know what aspirin did. <laughs> no, they just knew it could pain relief. Yeah. They knew it... Helped. They didn't know it was a thinner, a blood no. thinner. So, you know, it's... Yeah, it is important to keep those things in mind. No, it? absolutely. There's no judgment here on... No. There's some judgment on Rasputin. He's a... He's a piece of piece of piece of piece of garbage. <laughs> big it seems stink, to be big stinky piece of garbage. Yeah, I personally want to know more about the family of silkworms and and yeah, they sound pretty they cool. They sound like um. So his memoirs have they ever been published? Because <laughs> yes, I would like to read more memoirs about the Rasputin <laughs> incident. Uh, has there's they, a lot of there's are, a lot of quotes about. I mean, there's a lot of firsthand mm-hmm. from from. T- whatever his name from is. everybody yeah they were writing a lot it was it i mean that's something you got to remember now is that a lot of what we're doing now gets recorded mm-hmm. or uh, i mean especially you, this was in the 1900s yeah so think about the fact that if you meet someone new now and you want to tell your best friend about it you pick up the phone and that that you can have that information instantaneously yes and it never it's never recorded or it's very rarely recorded so it's never Preserve for prosperity. Yeah. Whereas this was an era where the mail service had got really good. Mm-hmm. People were writing letters and stuff to each other all the time. Yeah. Education was better, so people were writing a lot mm-hmm. more. And so there's tons of letters about him. And that's so interesting. I a huge I, amount of sources. I want like a compilation of, of, of this whole, which I realized would be like a massive under. Yeah. It'd be like reading the Encyclopedia Britannica, yeah. but like I think it'd be so cool. I mean, I just think that some of the first-hand descriptions of him are hilarious. Yeah, very common but, face. But you take two of the different, like you've got the czar saying that I was going to give him five minutes and I was with him for hours, mm-hmm. and then you've got this, and then you've got this crown prince who's like, bad news. This is a common dirty dude. <laughs> so yeah, very interesting. That yeah. Was a, uh, cool. All right. Okay. 